Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter. Where we are doing all we can to learn how to walk as masked Christians here in the age of COVID. I can't breathe in this damn thing. This is Wendy Jensen's mask. <sighs> All right, I had to start. I don't think I've ever done the show with a mask on before. So that was a first. I don't think. So thank you, Wendy Jensen, for loaning me one of your uh, masks you use for personal use, I guess. Uh, Anyway, uh, glad to have you here. Let's pray together, my brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God who walk by faith in his Son, by the Spirit, not the flesh. Lord, we come to you. We seek you in this messed up, crazy, unreasonable, ridiculous world that we're in. And uh, we just pray that you will bring us comfort and peace amidst the, the craziness, and you'll help us to look to you. And, uh, and, and to nothing else, we pray you'll bless uh, Seth and Wendy in the cage tonight, getting things going, and that Kathy and Mary will be able to man the phone lines, and people who are seeking truth will be able to find it amidst the errors that I will make. So we love you and seek you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, of course, when I'm praying, my computer goes off. Last night's show was titled Hanging in the Balance, and I think it's one of the most important shows uh, we've done for people of faith. If you're a Christian, that show, I believe, should be watched by every Christian. I'm not saying it because I did anything good. I think the Lord did something good there. If you're a Christian saved by grace through faith, spirit-filled, I petition you to go on YouTube or go on our website and look for the show that's called Hanging in the Balance. Um, Seth has graciously graphicked it for us with donuts hanging from strings that are iced. It's very luscious looking. You'll notice it right away. And I just suggest you take 30 minutes of your life and give it a try. I have said repeatedly in the past that our aim, our goal, our focus is to try to help sons and daughters of God uh, to know the truth and to assist them in their respective individual subjective walk through their life before they enter into the kingdom above. We don't care, I don't care, what your particular religious experience or preference is. I don't agree with most institutionalized religious affiliations, but that's me. I don't care what yours are, nor what your present participation is in them either. You want to be a Catholic? You want to be a Mormon? Or you want to be a Calvinist? Do you want to be any of these things? Go ahead, be it. That's your, that's your choice anyway. I can't, uh, I'm not responsible for it. So, and we don't care about your race and we don't care about your gender and, and your lifestyle and your political party or anything else that you decide to choose to spend your time and life on. Our messages are especially catered, uh, with what the word says specifically to sons and daughters about living on this earth. 
And, sorry, I got to scratch my eyes. That mask gave me an allergic reaction. Um, This means on our show, saying and teaching at times things that are hard to be understood. Things that are contrary to what the churches say. Contrary to what the world uh, is promoting. And our thing, or contrary to what's popular or trendy. I, I, I don't care about the world's things, but sometimes we speak in opposition to it because that's what the scripture talks about. But I personally, I, I don't believe, I honestly don't believe I will ever sell out a contextual understanding of the truth short for any person or any reason on this earth. I, I, I won't do it for money for sure. I won't do it for fame. I won't do it to be liked. I'm going to teach what I believe the word says, right or wrong. You have to decide uh, if, if you accept it or not. That being said, I want to share with you tonight before we get to our uh, emails and comments from last night's show and the week before, three principles, three principles for you to consider. The first principle has to do with receiving sound doctrine. Receiving sound doctrine. And it's kind of a litmus test. It's kind of a test for you and me to employ to decide if a doctrine is sound or not. In 1 Corinthians, excuse me, uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, which we're studying here at campus, for our exhortation, talking about him as an apostle, was not of deceit to you Thessalonians, nor of uncleanliness, nor of guile. Now, I want to talk about that turn of phrase where he says, our exhortation to you was not of uncleanliness. All right? And I would suggest to you that when you look at that word in the Greek and you understand it, that what he's saying is our teaching or exhortation to you does not lead you to being unclean. It doesn't lead you to living unclean lives. And I'm not talking about hygiene and I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about uh, it doesn't lead you to uh, uh, step back from the faith, step back from love. It doesn't lead you into living unclean lives. Now, it could include sin, but he's saying our teachings don't lead you into that. Uh, In fact, at verse 12, he says that it was his hope that the teaching would get them to walk worthy of God. In all and into his kingdom and glory. So we strive and hope with all our being that what we say and what we do will truly help you as sons and daughters of God, living by the Spirit, to walk worthy and to not lead you into any unclean life. And again, not just sin, but into a life that's less faithful, into a life that's less reliant on Christ, or to a life that is less. Uh, desirous to love God and others. As a student of scripture, you know, I say this because God is good. I have an ability to take vast amounts of information and summarize them down into bites that are understandable sometimes. (laughs) And it's a spiritual gift that God has given me. Praise God, not man, right? So, and I've come to see another principle for you to consider relative to doctrine. 
and, uh, and how to understand if you should follow or believe a doctrine or not. And that principle is, um, does this doctrine that I believe in lead me to less faith? Does this teaching lead me to loving less? As an example, if someone teaches you that you should forgive somebody once, but no more than that, you should say, well, you could say, uh, does this doctrine they're teaching make me want to love more or does it cause me to want to love less? And that little litmus test can tell you if the doctrine's sound or not. All right. And, you know, therefore, the result of a doctrine would tell us if the doctrine is faulty. That's what you do is you take the doctrine and you say, is it faulty or not? Um, if the latter, if it is faulty, then you should rethink it and you should discard it. Really think about it and incorporate it into the way you uh, discern the doctrines that you have embraced. I could have used this principle when I was LDS and the church, the LDS church and its leaders taught me that black people were not um, worthy to hold their priesthood. Okay. I could have used this principle when I heard that because I could have said, does this cause me to love people more or does it cause me to love people less? And when I would, when I knew how that doctrine actually played out in my heart and mind, I realized that that doctrine was faulty now, but then I didn't. Um, I could have used it when I was taught that in order to live with God after this life, I had to go to the Mormon temple. I had to pay my tithes and I had to be worthy and go to the Mormon temple. Did that doctrine cause me to have more faith on Christ or less? Well, it caused me to have less faith on Christ, to look to him as the author and finisher of my faith, and more self-reliance for me to pay tithes, for me to get worthy, for me to do it, for me to go to the temple. That was getting me into heaven. So just by taking this principle of you letting the doctrine and what it amounts to tell you if the doctrine's true or not, it's a fantastic way to assess things. So I could have used this when the evangelicals told me, some evangelicals, that God, he created human beings and he decided who would accept him and not, and those he decided would not would burn in hell forever. Now, what did that doctrine, if I embraced it and swallowed it and lived by it, what would that do for my love for others? It usually causes you to be indifferent towards others and to consider them as lesser than you, as no good and deserving of hell. I mean, if your God is going to rejoice in sending people to an eternal hell, you should probably be the same way, right? So the doctrine and the result in your life should tell you if it's faulty or not. Um, in Paul's day, most of the teachings of the heathens led to uncleanliness. It led to a licentiousness or a lack of faith and a lack of love. The tendency of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, inserted into your life tends to do the opposite. So when you just take the purity of the gospel into your heart and you just take the idea that Jesus died for you and you have faith on that and that you're to love God and love man with this agape love, you just take those basics, 
the fruit of that is really good. But when you start to add things on to that, those are the things I'm saying, subject them to the litmus test of what does it produce in you? What does it make you in your heart toward God and man? Finally, and relative to this principle, if you possess a doctrine that you believe is true, you quote unquote know is true, and someone attacks you for that doctrine, the same principle applies. Does your response to the attack lend to more faith and more love or less? And so I say Jesus is the Lord. And another person here at campus says, no, I don't think so. Am I going to let my response to that, to that person cause more love or less love? If I respond with less love because of the doctrinal conflict, I'm failing in the application of doctrine. There's no justification for failing for faith and for love. So God doesn't need us on his side to protect Jesus from having his feelings hurt if someone says he's not the Savior. He needs us on his, or he doesn't need us, but he has us on his side to love those people. We don't have to become indignant with people whose doctrines differ with ours. They can become indignant, but we, sons and daughters, love in the face of their um, resistance to us or their name-calling or their saying that you're not a Christian. Doesn't matter the topic. Faith and love in you growing must triumph. And that could, someone could say, I think God is a woman uh, lesbian. You can say, that's your right. I love you. See, because you're letting love and faith, your faith in, the, in God, rise above the conflict. And I think it's really good. So to summarize the first principle, if a doctrine or doctrinal position or interpretation or application of a doctrine fails to promote faith in Christ and agape love for God and man, I suggest that the doctrine or the interpretation of the doctrine or the application of the doctrine is faulty. It's really simple. The next thing I want to talk to you about is Jebus. Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus. And I want to talk to you about, I did a recent teaching in our uh, campus, and it's really important to the makeup of Jesus, the things I'm going to talk to you really quickly about. In the introduction of the epistle to the church at Thessalonica, Paul says, this is his introduction. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So based on this first passage, Paul has clearly established that God is our Father. God is our Father. And that there is a Jesus Christ is our Lord. That is clearly established twice by Paul in this introduction. And now I'm going to use what he established in that first passage to read the rest of the introduction. He says, we give thanks to God. Who is God? In the first passage, he says, is our Father. So we give thanks to God who is our Father. Always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of love and faith and patience of hope in our Lord, Jesus Christ, in the sight of God, our Father. This is the third time 
He is, this is actually the fourth time he mentions God, our Father, and or the Lord Jesus Christ. Not together. Not God, the Lord, not God, Jesus Christ. God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to affirm to you, sons and daughters, that God is our Father. That the Father is God. And that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And that the Holy Spirit is our power and our might. Did you know both, we are in both God, and our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Listen to what he says again. Paul, Timothy, Silvanus, under the church of Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, grace be unto you. And then he repeats that line. We believers are in them. Now, how is that so? How are believers in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ? I suggest that the answer to this lies in the very simple biblical fact that God the Father was in Jesus Christ the Lord. And that God in him ultimately took Jesus' flesh and made God of him. He took Jesus' flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, the man, God in him, made God of him. I don't ever hear that talked about. I think that's true. I don't think his flesh was God. In fact, I know it wasn't because it died and it had temptations. So God in him took Jesus of Nazareth and made God of him. And I want you to consider some passages I'm going to read to you right now because they're mind blowers. And if you hear them and read, try to understand them, look them up yourselves. First John 5, 20, we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true in him even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God. It says, even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. That's interesting. Consider the contents of Isaiah 9, 6. Allow the spirit to tell you what is being said prophetically about Jesus. Ready? This is what it says about Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's who Jesus is called prophetically in Isaiah. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. How about Isaiah 54, 5? For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. And perhaps John 17, 3, where Jesus said, speaking first of his father, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, the only true God, you, his father. That's who he's talking about the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Do you notice in that passage when Jesus says, this is life eternal to know you, the only true God and your son who he has sent, he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. 
if this is life eternal to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, doesn't say it. Jesus doesn't say it's life eternal to know the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is a third person of the man-made Trinity, he would say it. He doesn't say it because it's not true. It's a man-made piece of baloney. With God himself, the only true God in the flesh of Jesus, bringing him to deification, we now understand Thomas Thomas, and his comments to Jesus once he resurrected when he referred to Jesus as my Lord and my God in John 20, 28. He called Jesus after his resurrection, my Lord and my God. And listen to Acts 20, 28, where Paul writes, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Ready? To feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. To feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Does God have blood? He does now through Christ Jesus. And then, of course, there is 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Ready? God was manifest in the flesh. God. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory, or Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you notice that after his resurrection, he is called God? He's referred to as God, as having God shed his own blood. Prior to the resurrection, he is not. He's the Son of God. He is God with us in flesh. The deification of Christ is going on through his life. And then at his resurrection, he is called by God himself, his only begotten. And that Jesus then has the right to be at the right hand of the glory of God. And then, of course, we have Matthew uh, 123. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel, which interpreted means God with us. Paul clearly says God is the father. He clearly says that God is the father. He repeats it in most of his introductory uh, introductions to his epistles. He says, God is the father. And now we see God with us. So we know it was God who was with us in the flesh of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who with God in him deified him. And he, after his resurrection, is God in the flesh. Relative to God, I'm convinced there is one God. He is the Father. He has been God forever. He will be God forever. I'm convinced that his love for... Um, I am convinced that Jesus, in his love for his Father, overcame his human flesh. Pre-incarnate, Jesus was God the Father's words. His knowledge, his hope, his goodness, his foresight, called the Logos of God by John. And then the Logos of God, our Father, took on a body of flesh. The Logos of God, our Father, took on a body of flesh. That was God with us. And with God in him, overcame that flesh to become God-man. 
He became God-man, our mediator, our Lord, our Savior, our King. God our Father wants all of his creations to look to Jesus the God-man now. That's who he is. In faith and follow his commandments. And God the Father is pleased when we look to that human uh, uh, being who overcame his flesh because of God in him and became the God-man mediator for us. God's Holy Spirit is calling and drawing all to receive His only human Son, God with us. That, that guy walking around was God with us in the flesh of a human being. Not the co-equal, not the co-eternal, not the Son of God with us who came from a pre-incarnate state. God with us in the man Jesus of Nazareth, who since his resurrection is the God-man, the only begotten of God himself. And finally, the last principle I want to present before we get to the emails and comments uh, is relative to Jesus' talk with Pilate before he was put to death. Pilate asked Jesus if he was a king. And after explaining that he was, uh, but that his kingdom was not of this world, Pilate repeats the question and says, so are you a king? And Jesus says in John 18, to this end, I was born. He says, are you a king? He says, to this end, I was born. And for this cause, I came into the world to be a king that I should bear witness unto the truth. Now, this is the line I want to focus on before we go to the comments. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. I was born to be a king. That's why I came here. And let me tell you something. I came to witness to the truth. And everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. What makes someone of the truth that gives them the capacity to hear his voice? I'm talking to those of you, and you know who you are. You are that person. You hear his voice. You know the truth. You are a person that Jesus says that is of the truth. And he says, when you're of the truth, you can hear his voice. What gives them the capacity? I don't know. But all I can say in my experience with dealing with thousands of people over the past, you know, actually it's been 30 years of dealing with people like most of you, that relative to the topic of God and the gospel, those who are of the truth are those who want it. They seek it. They desire it over everything else in their lives. You know who you are, and he knows who you are. You're his sons and daughters. You are a people where nothing comes between you and the truth. Not comfort, not family, not spouse or children, not this world, not luxuries or money or wealth or jobs or friends or fame, nothing takes precedent 
because you are, as Jesus said, of the truth. I had a woman who for four years after coming out of Mormonism has finally landed where she believes she needs to be and she struggled and she has searched and sought and kicked and, and bit and uh, trying to find what is right. And she was here Sunday and she came up and was talking to me and I said to her, what is Jesus in your life now? What is God to you? I wanted to hear where she had arrived. And I, I was anticipating any, any number of answers. She could have said, well, he's my savior and I'm so grateful for him. You know, very rote and mechanical the way the, the Mormons say. She could have said anything. And she paused and I waited with anticipation to hear what would come out of her mouth. And she said, he's everything. He's the primary purpose of everything. Nothing comes before him. And I knew she had arrived. I knew that she had found that truth, that she was somebody who was of the truth, not somebody who's of doctrine, not somebody who's of arguments, not somebody who's of church. She was of the truth. Jesus tells right the, uh, Pilate right there and then, I was born to be a king. My kingdom's not of this world. I'm here to bear witness of the truth on this earth because everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. In response to this, Pilate asks, probably sarcastically, the famous question, what is truth? What is truth? These people are of the truth. What is truth? We know the answer to that, don't we? Jesus gave us that answer. Wendy just told me it's in John when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Pilate said, what is truth? And I've always believed that Jesus was probably uh, figuratively, if not maybe comically, uh, Literally going, I'm the truth. I came into this world to share it. My children hear my voice. They are of the truth. If you're seeking, you are of the truth. You may not have arrived. If you're open to discovering, you're of the truth. If you're locked down in your mind about what everything means and is, you might love some of the truth. You probably don't have all of it and you might not be of it. And so the show is catered to try to reach to those and they are few who are looking to be sustained in their search for the truth. And I get your emails and I get your comments and I know you suffer. I know life is not easy for you. And I just want you to know you're not alone. And, um, and that Jesus is there pulling for those who are is, his, and hear his voice. So um, we are going to go now to your comments. We'll open up the phone lines 
801-590-8413. If you want to call in and share something with us, that's great. In the meantime, I'm going to read back for the first five or six days with comments that have been posted for different shows. And the first one's from Common Sense Christianity. What do you think of the recent Supreme Court decision regarding LGBTQ rights? Um, common sense, I don't watch the news. I don't read the newspaper. I don't know what the Supreme Court did. I don't care what they did. I don't care if it's uh, pro or con. I think that they will do their best if they're good and they will not do their best if they're not. My kingdom, like Jesus said, is not of this world. My job is to love people. My job is not to establish who has rights and who doesn't and to make a voice on that. That's what religion does. As a Christian, my job is to love LGBTQ and everybody else along the way in Jesus' name to share the truth with them. That's my job. Supreme Court, what if I was from Korea? What would the Supreme Court decision mean to me? If I lived in Albania, if I, if I, whatever, what does it mean? But the truth of Christ means something in all those places. Common Sense uh, Christianity wrote one hour ago, recently on my podcast, I've been dealing with the issue of animal captivity, specifically dealing with SeaWorld and its killer whales. It's a topic of great interest to me, and I was wondering what your opinion on it is, and have you ever seen the documentary Blackfish? My daughter has seen Blackfish. I know one of them that has, and really was moved by that uh, picture. But again, uh, the, the treatment of animals, I eat animals, so I can't expect the treatment of them to be perfect, can I? Uh, the fact that it's a, a big, uh, beautiful fish kept in a, an aquarium, I have no comment. Would I enjoy going to see one there? Sure. Would I enjoy seeing one in the wild? Sure. My kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom is to share Christ. And sons and daughters spend their face, their time on Christ. So I don't have a comment on animal rights any more than I have it on LGBTQ rights. Vanessa Braga says, I can't help but think of X-Men. That our resurrected bodies, this is talking about the show last night, will be able to have superpowers that will be used to glorify God. If some of us will inherit bodies that cannot withstand God's presence, then they will be able to live with us in heaven, or will they have to go someplace that is like outer darkness? Also, well, let me answer that quickly. I don't know, but I don't. I think if they're equipped with a body that can't stand the presence of God, they would be in a place that is outside of the presence of God, which is not where light is. So it seems like it would be outside the city gates of the New Jerusalem and in a place that's more dark. So that we can say that. Also, I pondered the phrase, in my father's house there are many mansions. I thought about how his kingdom is backward than that of this world because aren't, smaller, aren't houses smaller than mansions? Like his glory and creation is far greater and exists in humbly in his grace. And I think you're onto something there. I'm going to set this down for a second. I just want to talk to it. I think, and I may have said this, I'm sorry I'm getting old, but I may have said this, but we have this idea that, you know, being bestowed with this resurrected body that can abide in his glory means we are going to be like mighty, like you said, X-men and X-women, and we're going to have all these powers to do these things. But uh, I happen to think 
that God, like Jesus, is a servant, selfless, wholly selfless. And I tend to think these days that the eternities for those who are sons and daughters will not be served exercising power over things, but will be lived out in service, perhaps to those in the darkness. It might be lived out in total service. Now, I could totally embrace that idea because in service and selflessness, without the confines and restrictions of these bodies that get tired and angry and are sick of being used, but if you are pure love and light and you're in the service of those who need you most, which would be those without God, who are biting and gnashing at each other and fighting with each other and are selfish and, thing, and your job is to go and bring peace and light and love and mercy to them, that sounds like a flip too, like what you were talking about, Vanessa, that in God's house might be the smallest, you know? If he is the greatest, it might be the smallest. I think we think backward on this stuff. I don't think our eternities for sons and daughters is going to be one that the world would hail as magnificent. I don't think people are going to be bowing down to sons and daughters. I think sons and daughters are going to be serving for eternity, perhaps. And I don't think that's a bad way to go. Matt Larson says, haven't listened to you for a while. Everything you said tonight, I needed to hear. Thank you. God bless. Does it matter if you if you're buried or burn when you die, I would like to think, no, I don't think so at all. Uh, you know, cremation and eaten by, by killer whales that are free or any of that. I don't think it matters at all because I think the resurrection is spiritual. But Matthew is talking about last night's show, which again, I'm going to push to you, hanging in the balance. If you're a Christian, you should spend 30 minutes and watch that show because I think it, it conveys some very important things that most Christians don't think about. Curtis Whitaker, uh, Whitener, sorry, Curtis says, hello, I take great comfort and motivation in these verses. Second Corinthians 12, one through five, New Living Translation. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or not of, out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I am not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. And Curtis says this may have been the result of Paul's stoning, referred to in Acts 14, 19, how they stoned him and he was dragged out, thought of as dead. What Paul experienced was nothing less than awesome. Our human minds cannot conceive what awaits us. Amen. And I agree with Curtis completely. It, we cannot fathom what it will mean. Uh, and, and eye has not seen, ear has not heard the uh, wonders that await those who love God. And I think that is absolutely true. And I bank on that completely, that he will do whatever is necessary and he will do it right. I just want to add something to uh, your comment there, though. Uh, I tend to wonder, because Paul says, I knew a man, um, that the 14 years ago, perfectly times with the first apostolic meeting when they were deciding on circumcision for Gentiles. And I'm wondering 
if Paul was referring to John, the beloved, who was caught up in, in his receiving of the book of Revelation. I know it's not a common idea, but I wonder about that. And I'm not sure it was just Paul speaking of himself, but Paul speaking of a man he knew, meaning John. Design courses, nice midterms. I don't know what people mean when they say that. Does anyone know? No idea. It's, I've read it before. According to the bet we made, it was a sure bet. The evidence is the inner man that they cannot destroy. I'll take it. I don't know what that means. Uh, MH wrote, I had an NDE and a lot of this makes sense in my humble opinion. That's talking about what we talked about last night. I don't know about the bodies. Maybe you're right, but the idea of an outer area that's dark makes sense to me. I do also add emphasis to the idea that it's about knowing God and loving him in such a way that you wouldn't compromise. Sort of like Jesus turning down the offers in the 40 days in the wilderness. I'd also add that I believe God is constantly there wanting anyone to look to him to guide them to his purposes and plans he has set out for them to do down here. And that using the gift of life and time we've been given on those purposes and plans will be valuable when we depart here. But it takes looking to God and surrendering temporal purposes and plans that we can come up with and not wasting our time getting caught up in distractions that are down here. I agree with all that. And I agree. I think that God is calling out uh, to those outside of the city gates that might be in that darkness. And I think he's calling them to come into the, the, the kingdom. Uh, the idea of the resurrected body not being equipped to do that might be what keeps them out. And maybe those who are thirsting for truth and relationship with God will endure whatever that means in order to get in his presence. No idea. Uh, he says, that's another reason why I like how you say nobody between the individual and God besides Jesus as our mediator. I recognize the value of institutions as sort of a doorway for people to get knowledge of God or come in contact with the gospel. But I also truly believe God is love and so good and is constantly open arm wanting anybody to look for him for personal guidance. I've heard you say that you don't give much weight to NDEs and that's totally understandable. It really comes down to scripture regardless. So if anything I'm writing here doesn't line up with scripture, then side with scripture and let me know what doesn't line up as well. Peace. And I, I just don't give credit, uh, uh, credit to NDEs because I just don't know if they're right or not. They may be. And I believe them. I have seen a dead person. I know that sounds crazy. When I was about six years old, I saw her and the way I described her to my parents came forward as absolutely valid. A Christian today would say that was a demon. I, I wasn't scared of her. Uh, so I think there is something to these things, but I don't know what it is. So I just don't put a lot of hope and trust in them because they are really subjective. It might just be for the person. Uh, Jack uh, Dawson says, really look forward to the Christian book. Yes, we'll talk about that in the future. I hope you consider doing an audio version of it. Follow along with the on with Audible or something. Uh, he wrote, writes, get paid, son. Joke, I know that's not what you're about. But seriously, with your smooth, soothing voice. <laughs> this thing is like a cat in a vat of acid. Uh, that'd be awesome for children to listen to before bedtime. If warm milk had a voice, it'd be yours. You're nice, Jack. Thank you. And yes, that is a compliment. 
keep the hippie gospel books coming. Thanks again. Uh, we, I think you guys will like this book. And so as it approaches closer to uh, summer, getting through a summer, we're going to start introducing it to you. Do the LDS leaders know the church isn't true? Uh, that's from the show years ago. Adam Strickler says, I have no idea what to do now. Whole life has been a lie. Oh, that breaks my heart. That's, that's what started us in ministry, and we're still reaching to LDS people. Uh, your whole life may have been a theological lie, but um, your whole life has not been worthless. God had you go through that for whatever reason. He allowed you to, and you can rise above that. And the solution now, my brother, is turn to God without the intervention of men and women, and you seek Him. Open up a Bible. Yes, it has some issues. Open up a Bible, read it, New Testament, and ask God to help you and open your eyes, and he'll do it, uh, Adam. So consider that. Richard McGinnis writes, I used to watch this guy religiously. When I started, I watched the very first show and played catch-up for a month or so to get with the pre- to get into the present with the videos, then watch for a long time, then quit because of work and being so tired after working outside up and down the ladder with shingles on my back every day. The show used to be just over an hour. I learned a lot, found out that the church is the wrong word for the Bible, translated incorrectly and lots of other things. There is no church, and if you want to speak with God, it's done private one-on-one and no other way, because any other way is like standing on the street corner, proclaiming and getting your reward right now as it's done. All right, good comment. And LDS believed the black curse of Cain was black skin, that the curse of Cain was black skin. That was a show we did way back. And Tia Thomas says, well, we know that isn't the truth. Slavery in the South proved that. Does anyone understand that? I don't understand that. And then churches will eventually have to close their doors. That was not that long ago, maybe two years ago. We gave all the reasons why churches are going to close their doors eventually. Uh, One of them is happening right now, COVID. We weren't in the time of COVID when we did that show. We said disease is going to cause the churches would be one of the reasons they cause it. And James Anderson says, good. And then Stephanie Smith writes, thank you for this message and all you do. Helps me better understand the scripture. Helps me to question and search for truth. And in that, grow closer in our relationship to our Father. And that's what it's all about, my sister. So keep doing that. And then Glory uh, People of the Free says, simply read the New Testament. The church wasn't pure from the beginning. In many ways, they were worse than us. Interesting uh, take. And then uh, going back to one week ago, I'm not going to read those because I think we did it last week. And we're going to wrap the show up with that. We don't have any calls. The calls have died. Birdman is going to go away. Uh, He made one appearance on Heart of the Matter. Thank you. And uh, he'll never be seen again. But he's going to be now worn on Wendy's head as she goes into stores. That's her mask. It's a bit of rebellion, isn't it? Um, Check out last night's show. uh, And consider its contents if you're a Christian. I think it's very, very, very important to you to understand what was presented there and to challenge it not just to believe me. We will see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Oh, did I miss this off-air question?